Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When we look at greatness, right, people who are great, people who have done great things, we tend to want to summarize them as someone who is from another planet, someone who's cut from a different cloth, someone who has been genetically gifted and that they, they are predisposed, preconditioned for greatness. Um, and that is not the case whatsoever, right? I was in that same boat, I'm still in that same boat. Um, what I've come to realize is that it, greatness exists within every single one of us, right? Every single one of us, human flesh, blood and tissue. And it's just a matter of getting your mind wrapped around who you wanna become and then putting in that work to get it done. And that's it. I'm Nick Lavery, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. We have a spectacular show for you today. I just finished this show, and I'm very, very excited about it. I was put in touch with this individual by my friend, Scott Brown, and this particular individual, I'm going to read his uh, resume because I know that he will not talk about it himself, Uh, but Nick Lavery. Nick Lavery is a Green Beret warrant officer. He has... um, He has three purple hearts, a silver star, a bronze star, a bronze star with valor for heroism and combat. He is really an exceptional person. He is the first above the knee amputee to go back to active duty as a Green Beret. He had been injured three different times in combat. One was pretty serious where it, uh, well, they were all pretty serious, but the one resulted in him having his leg amputated um, and he determined that he was going to go back to his team. He was going to go back to the people that uh, 
that needed him. And that's exactly what he did after a full year of recovery in Walter Reed. So that um, experience obviously taught him some lessons. It obviously, uh, uh, he had to rely on his training that he had before. Um, And it all goes back to mindset, really, with Nick. Um, We talk about mindset a tremendous amount in this podcast and how he was able to use a, a positive mindset, a certain mindset to uh, recover, get back to his teams, and um, go on to have a, a a really long military career that's lasting even to today. He's about to be deployed again. So Nick Lavery is our guest today. He is really something. So stay tuned, take notes, get ready for this awesome conversation with Green Beret Warrant Officer Nick Lavery. Nick, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Man, I'm doing great. I've had a great morning. Already gotten my workout in. Everything's going great. Yep. Great way to start the day. Yeah, man. Likewise. The only way to start the day. Do you are you a morning? I mean, uh, probably in your profession, you're always a morning, a morning person, but uh are you a morning? Would you consider yourself a morning person? Do you like to get the day started real early? I do get the day started early. Uh, I don't always like it though. <laughs> you know, some days I spring up out of bed at, at 4 a.m. without the alarm clock going off and I'm, and I'm fired up. Uh, most days I have to drag myself up, but I, but I do get going early in the day. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, good deal. Well, to bring the listeners up to speed, uh, I have dug into your your story quite a bit. We have a mutual friend in, in Scott Brown that introduced us, and uh, I've talked to him considerably about you. But uh, I would love to bring the listeners up to speed on on who you are and uh, and what your story is. Yeah, man. Um, I guess who I am first and foremost is I'm a family man. That's that's what I identify with more than anything else by far. So uh, I'm a husband, I'm a father of one three-year-old boy. However, we have a second boy that is on the way. Oh, nice. uh, ETA sometime mid-March. Right on. So we're excited about that. Yeah, yeah. So um, I honestly, man, I could stop describing myself right there and be totally content with that. Yeah. Um, A little bit beyond that, I'm from Boston, if uh, really? you haven't already figured that out yet. I thought you yeah, were from I'm South what? Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, Boston, Mass, born and raised. Um, went to college up there. Uh, went to University of Massachusetts at Lowell. Played football. Got my bachelor's degree in criminology. And then uh, then looked at options to enlist. Came into the Army in 2007 as a special forces recruit, which is known as the 18 x-ray program. Uh, did that, went over to third group out of Fort Bragg as an 18 Bravo, which are the weapons sergeants. Did that for a while, um, deployed a bunch of times, eventually transferred to fifth group, which is where I'm at now out of Fort Campbell. Um, made that move because my wife is also active duty army. She came down on orders here for Fort Campbell. so. Uh, transferred group, been here now almost four years, something like that. And uh, last year, I transitioned to become a warrant officer, um, which is still a transition I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out. You know, by the time I figure it out, it'll probably be time for me to move on to the next <laughs> job. That's kind of how the Army works. 
And uh, yeah, man, we, my team and I, we're in the final preparation phase uh, for this next deployment that's coming up here real quick. And uh, yeah, man, that's, uh, that's, that, that's the wave top introduction right there, brother. Okay. And um, somewhere along the line, there was a, there was a pretty significant part of the story that, uh, that you didn't cover. And that is that you were, you were pretty severely injured in, uh, in combat and uh, had a, an amputation above the knee. Yeah, that's correct. And what's funny about that, man, and whether I'm in an interview or doing a podcast or something, um, and it's not intentional, but when I, when I describe my background and who I am, um, I tend to just not mention that. You know, I kind of just, like, blast over it, and the guy, everyone was like, wait, wait, hold on a second. Like, you're an amputee, you're missing your leg, you're doing stuff. Like, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of a big pot of your life, and you didn't even mention it. Um, which I understand it's just, it's ironic because I don't really identify super close as an amputee or as a wounded warrior. Um, I'm obviously not ignorant to the fact that it's part of my reality. Um, but I make that, I make that mistake, I guess, if you could call it pretty consistently, but yeah, man, um, on my second deployment to Afghanistan, my second combat trip to Afghanistan anyway, um, in 2012, going into 2013, um, I was injured three times over there on three separate occasions. And the last one, which was just about a week before, well, maybe a week or two ish before we were set to leave. Um, my team and I fell victim to an insider attack, sometimes referred to as a green on blue incident. And, uh, I took a bunch of rounds to both of my legs. Most of the damage was to my right leg. I uh, shattered my femur. Uh, severed my femoral artery, uh, really had almost no business surviving that incident, but, but I did, you know, spent a year at Walter Reed, uh, going through rehab and learning how to live life as a, as a one-legged dude before returning back to Fort Bragg, got back to my unit, um, was, uh, was assigned a job as an instructor, which was, which was awesome. Something I requested. And, uh, from that point I began working the process to get back to operational status, which um, is something I'm proud to say I was successful at doing. That's uh, that had to be. Um, and looking into your story, there were all kinds of assessments that you were going to have to go through once that you started to get to the point to where you were you were getting healthy. You were realizing, okay, I'm 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 getting there. I'm going to do this. And then there's a tremendous amount of assessments that have to that you have to pass, not only for um, for the army, but for your team as well. And for your own, um, kind of realization that you are an asset. Yeah. So, um, what was interesting about it, man, is I had been working as an instructor. So I was, I was on the SOC P committee, which stands for special operations combatives program. And we are charged with teaching hand-to-hand combat and close quarters battle. Uh, to the members of the of the SF unit that we belong to, um, I've been doing that for about eight months. Once I got back to to the unit, and I, at that time I was training and training and training, um, pretty much out of my mind. You know, the the goal from the very beginning was to get back to the team. And after about that eight month stretch of of just about nothing but work, train, eat, sleep. That that's really all I did. Um, I voiced to my command that. 
I felt like I was ready to give it a shot. And they knew immediately once I got back there, even prior to me getting back there, what my intentions were. Um, but there really wasn't a laid out pipeline, right? Like this nice clean pipeline, like the Q course or any other of these programs where it's just, okay, A, then B, then C. It really wasn't like that. Um, they just decided to begin throwing these assessments at me. So I started off with just your basic physical fitness test and then another, another army for record physical fitness test. Um, and then it just kind of kept going, you know, I was doing one assessment usually every week or two. And that was about a three month process. And, and I got put through the ringer and, uh, you know, rightfully so I, I would have expected nothing less. Um, you know, physical was obviously a big part of it. I also was given a kind of a proficiency reevaluation as an 18 Bravo. I was put through another psych screen because again, I was, I was borderline out of my mind. Uh, and I think people around me kind of picked up on that. Like we want to, we want to make sure this guy's not genuinely crazy, uh, for what he's trying to do here. So that, that process took just about three months and it was brutal. And, um, you know, upon the conclusion of my last physical assessment, which, which was actually created by third group at the time, specifically to replicate the activities of combat. Um, they have since turned that into an assessment that they use across the regiment, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, finished that. And, uh, I had kind of earned the confidence and the trust of not only my teammates, but, uh, but the command. And, uh, they gave me the, the approval to, to go back to the team. So you're like a, a pretty physically, you're, you're a physical standout six foot six. Is that right? Big dude, six foot six, yeah, six, five, six, six, somewhere six, five, now, yeah. six, six. You've been a physical standout your entire life. Uh, I would imagine that the first time that you go through selection, the first time that you're going through the, the, the initial assessments, you're, you're doing really well in the physical, right? Yeah. Grew up playing sports, grew up doing combat sports, played football, college. Uh, you know, I was, I would say I was about, 70% brawn, 30% brain. And, and my physical traits and my aggressiveness is what I brought to the table. It was what I enjoyed. Um, it was what I was good at. And it was what my team wanted from me. So it was it was a win-win ac across the board. Yeah. And so when you are, are coming back from this injury and the, the amputation and you're going through these assessments, did you did you come upon any realizations that while while you were passing the the assessments you were doing things you were having to learn how to do things differently or anything was that difficult at all oh yeah yeah and actually man it started it started long before i began this assessment process it actually started back when i was in the hospital and uh general cleveland who at the time was the USASOC commander came and visited me while i was still in inpatient status at walter reed so i'm still going through surgeries two or three times a week. I'm still in real rough shape. He came to visit me and long story short, he kind of laid out his design for, or his vision for SF or for army special operations moving forward. Um, a document referred to as RSOF 2022, which at the time of this visit by him was not made public. It was just about to, to be released. And it just talked about uh, the future of soft and how we can make an impact. And there was a, there was an enormous emphasis on the need to pay attention to the human dynamic 
in the operating environment that we live within. And immediately following that visit, um, I began wrapping my mind around ways that I could increase my value aside from my physical characteristics. Uh, and in SF specifically, in the Army Special Forces, there's, there are a lot of options for us to expand our potential and our value because we have such a broad mission set. Right. We do the direct action, cool guy stuff, the kicking indoors thing that we all love to do. But there's also an entire plethora of other activities and things that we are expected to be proficient at and then get tasked to go do. So I began exploring those options, different schools, both military and on the civilian side, ways that I could increase my cerebral capacity to increase my mind to equal as much of a weapon as I felt my body was. Uh, because I knew I was realistic. I knew that there's no way I was going to be as physically dominant as I was as a one-legged guy. You know, um, it's not something that's easy to digest, but you have to be pragmatic about where you're at. And I could train all day, every day, which I do. It's just I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be as 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 I was. So how can I how can I raise that stock and raise that value? And it was through these other arenas that I began to explore options. And I didn't like any of it. It was painful. But I felt it was necessary uh, to 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 be that asset that I wanted to continue to be. Going through the assessments specifically, um, yeah, I mean, at this point, I was still maybe just 18 months or so out from having lost a leg, which is still really early on in the process of of being an amputee. Um, so I, you know, I had these events, and I knew what the events were. I knew the kinds of things that would be asked of me. And I would just start, you know, playing around with different techniques. How does this work? How does that work? Um, it's a lot like drilling in jujitsu is kind of the analogy I use. You know, you just have to drill it over and over and over and over again. Trial and error, trial and error, make small adjustments, trial and error, trial and error until you find a system or method that looks like it's going to be the most promising and then just gradually build up strength and endurance. So that, that was the process is I was training for general strength, general endurance, um, my jiu-jitsu game, and then I was also doing specific training for these events that I knew were coming down the pipe at some point. So it was just a, a nonstop back and forth, uh, very meticulous, very methodical process to to learn how I can do certain movements as a guy with with just one leg. Right. Um, one of the things that I, at that part of your story that I thought was pretty interesting is it's obvious that you started to look towards the things that you can do rather than focusing on the things that you can't do. And that's where a lot of people have a real problem is that, you know, you get injured, you're an athlete, you get injured. Oh, I can't run anymore. I can't run, you know, for the next five months, I, I tore my calf muscle or I, I did something and they start focusing on all of the things that they can't do rather than focusing on, look at all these other things that I can do. This is a great opportunity to get really strong at pull-ups, or this is a great opportunity to enhance my training in another way. Or, you know, it could be somebody that lost their job or somebody that, that had some sort of a, a, a disappointment in their life. And they're thinking about all of the things that they can't do and focusing on those things, which is paralyzing them. Right. So how did, how did you, were you conscious of that? Like, I have to think about the things that I can do, focus on those things, get better at those things. Or, or was there, was there a conscious decision to, to do that? Or did that fall back on, on a lot of the training that you had already had? Yeah. I mean, that, that was very 
specific and, and deliberate. And it began in my hospital bed, right? I mean, as I'm going through surgeries, I've got an external fixator that's holding my leg together, this giant metal apparatus that's sticking out of my body. I mean, I'm in real rough shape. Obviously, I'm not doing the types of physical training that I would normally be doing. But what can I do from this hospital bed right now? Bring in some bands, bring in some two-pound dumbbells. I mean, literally, right? Here, here goes from a guy who, at the time of my injury, was about 280 pounds, right, of, of mostly muscle. It, it, one of my peak I've been in my life to instantaneously be in a hospital bed. You know, I lost 60, 70 pounds. I'm obviously a mess. Um, and I'm lifting a two-pound dumbbell in a hospital bed, right? That's, that's one, extremely humbling. Um, but I thought it was super important because it, it allowed me to focus my energy on what I was able to do at that moment, which wasn't much, but I was able to get in there and get some work done. And as long as I was working, my mind and my body were, were making progress. It was very slow and steady, but I was still making progress. And that really didn't, didn't end. You know, it still doesn't end today, right? I mean, I was told uh, back then that running for me would be completely out of the question, right? I'm too tall. My stump, which apparently is a derogatory term, so my, <laughs> my residual limb if you will, um, is too short. I don't have any muscle in my leg at all. Um, running is out, right? Well, I still run, you know, I run now, but it's very taxing on me where normally in the army running kind of goes hand in hand with physical fitness. Um, I do it, but I don't do it as much. Um, I find other ways to get in my cardio, to get in my endurance training. There are other ways that I can, I can still meet the intent, which is to be physically fit and have the endurance and cardiovascular capacity that I need to do my job. So I just think it, it all starts in the mind and we'll, you know, we'll probably circle back to mindset and mentality a lot here because it's just so interwoven in what we are able to do in three-dimensional time and space. It all begins in, in, in your mind, man. And I just think generally speaking, we, we need to be rigid on the goal, but we need to remain flexible on the approach. And we tend to be comfortable doing the things that we have done and we like to do and we're good at. Um, but sometimes that may not be an option at that moment. So you need to flex and find what you can do. And you may not enjoy it, but you're going to get the results that you're looking for at the end of the day. And that's really what it's about. Finding mm. a way to continue to work at what you are able to do. Double and triple down on what you can do while also not completely neglecting the things that you, that you want or need to get better at. Man, that's good advice. And it, it can be applied to so many different, different areas of, of anyone's life. In your case, it's been tested at the, you know, basically the extreme end. So those, that, that advice is, is sound for sure. Let's talk about uh, discipline for a little bit. What, is, what does discipline mean to you? Because it obviously seems like um, you had to be incredibly disciplined to, to, First of all, to to become a Green Beret, you have to have a tremendous amount of discipline. You have to uh, then rely on that discipline as you're doing this whole um, healing process and getting back to the teams. But in your, how do how do you describe discipline? I would describe discipline as a combination of sacrifice and time prioritization. Um, sacrifice being basically giving up the things that you are fortunate to have, 
right? I am fortunate to have a warm bed to sleep in and I want to stay in it. I'm fortunate <laughs> to have a pizza in front of me because I can afford it. Um, or I have a spouse that brought one home. I'm fortunate to have this delicious, tasty treat in front of me right now. Um, giving up those things, right? That, that is sacrifice. And oftentimes to tie that into discipline, it's then in conjunction with doing something other than that, that is more beneficial to you in the long run, right? So giving up immediate satisfaction for enduring self-respect, um, sacrificing what I want for what I need. And I don't think it, need, it, it needs to be exclusive. I don't think that we are only to do the things we need to do always, right? There, there should be some kind of a balance that exists that will constantly teeter back and forth. Perfect balance, in my opinion, does not exist at all. Um, but if you're only doing the things you have to do always, then life is going to be a chore and you're likely going to be miserable. And that's no way to go through life, right? We need to enjoy the process just as much as the prize. We need to enjoy the journey um, as much as getting to the actual top of the mountain because this isn't a dress rehearsal, right? We have, we have one shot at this thing. So we want to be happy and enjoy it and enjoy what we're doing. That just doesn't mean we get to do whatever we want all the time. So it, it's a give and take. And the time prioritization is just, you know, time is our most valuable resource. It's our most limited resource. Everyone has a problem with time. Um, and it starts, I think, with just your vernacular. Uh, you know, I didn't have time. I ran out of time. I don't have time. It's like, no, you have the time. The time is, is given to all of us. We all have the same 24 hours in every day. We just simply choose how we use it. And oftentimes we have to do things that we may not want to do again, like work and eat food and shower, right? Like the things we need to do to just survive. Um, everything else, we just have to rack and stack those according to the, the priorities of, of those activities within that time. I think when you combine those two things together, um, you, you, you get discipline, which is another kind of enormous topic that, that's, that's tied into a lot of this stuff and just in general success as it is overcoming adversity. Um, discipline is, is critical. Um, I just think it's, it all be, it all begins it all begins in your mind. Um, unfortunately, it can't stop there. It, that then has to transcend into physical action to create change within the actual world. One of the things that I just picked up on there um, that I've picked up on from other individuals like yourself is that you mentioned the vernacular. You mentioned the words that you choose to use. How how um, how conscious are you of the words that you choose to use and how that affects your discipline, your, your habits, your attitude? Um, I, I pay attention to it and, and I certainly make mistakes, uh, with my language <laughs> use daily for sure. Um, but, uh, but, um, I hone in on it to the point where, well, I'll drive people around me crazy. You know, pe people don't speak in literal terms all the time, right? We as a human species, we've got expressions that we use that are not intended to be taken literally all the time. Um, but I do think that there is a, an impactful connection between the words you use, whether they're internal or outwardly spoken, and what that does to your psyche, right? To actually have your mind and, and speak yourself forward um, and getting rid of 
inaccurate, um, excuse-ridden type phrases and language, right? It is what it is. It's an expression that drives me batshit crazy, <laughs> and it's used constantly, and I got it. It's just kind of an easy filler that people will throw out there, and what you're really saying is, I am a product of this and there's nothing I can do about it. Well, you can always do something about it. It, it, it is what you make it. It, not, it is not what it is. It is what you decide it is. It is what you decide to work in, towards to create. Um, and that's just one example. So I do pay attention to it, what I'm speaking within myself and then what I project um, because I think it's important. I think, uh, I think you need to train your mind to be able to get your body to move at a higher level. And a really easy way to begin that process is just paying attention to the words that are within your vocabulary. Yeah. It's interesting that you said that it drives people around you crazy because it certainly drives my wife crazy. I, I try to stay away from negative words. I try to stay away from, I try not to use them myself. Like, things like hate or, oh, this is going to be terrible or the traffic was horrible or any of those kind of things. And, and I'm, I'm like, that, that's a negative word. I try not to say it. So it drives my wife crazy. It, it really does. <laughs> and and yeah. that's, a, that's a tricky thing too because you're trying to navigate this thing in your own. You figured out that words are important. The way that you use words are important. But how do you... <laughs> How how you uh, deal with the people that are around you and not drive them crazy, but stay on track is tricky. It really is. Yeah. It's real tricky. I don't know if you got any any insight on on that uh, because it sounds like you have a little bit of the same experience that I do <laughs> with that. Yeah, no, I, I do, man. Especially when it comes to your spouse, you know, you really want to want to pick and choose those battles. Um, I'm fortunate to be to be blessed to a to a high charging um, savage such as my wife. So even when I, you know, I maybe recommend an adjustment in language, uh, she she may tell me to, to, to get, to get out of here with that kind of stuff right now. But, but she's also mature enough and she's been through a lot to know that, yeah, okay, he's right. I just may not want to um, admit that right now, which is right. just kind of standard husband and wife stuff. Um, yeah, the, uh, I think we need to be, careful just in general, right? Whether we're talking about language or talking to just about the people around us and how what we're doing or saying is impacting them. Uh, people decide to grow or decide to make a change mm. on their own terms, right? And on their own timeline. And ideally, our productivity and our dedication and our discipline and our work ethic will have a positive impact on those around me. And oftentimes that does happen. Um, that, that, you know, that, that's the ultimate goal. There are times, however, where that can, that can go the other direction. That can actually create a little bit of a bit of friction points with them because they are able to, they're seeing what you're doing and they're not in that place, right? They love you. They care about you. They're your teammate, your friend, your coach, whatever it is. Uh, but they're not there yet. And because of that, it can, it can, it can lead to some resentment going towards us, right? If we're the ones that are grinding and making changes and sacrifices and they're not there, it makes them feel lazy, right? It makes them feel inferior and they take that out on us, right? Um, it's, I don't want to say they become haters, but they're just, uh, 
it makes them feel bad about who they are and that's projected towards us. And then it can also work the other way around where we're grinding and we're getting after it and those around us are not because they're, they're not there yet. And we can resent that. Hey man, I'm working my ass off over here and uh, you're not doing shit. Like what, what's the problem, right? So we resent that. I just think we need to be real cautious about that, particularly with those relationships that we need to preserve or really, really want to preserve um, such as a spouse, a child, a mother, a father, right. um, friends, you know, that's where it gets a little interesting, man. That's where you really need to take a close look at your community and who you are surrounding yourselves with. And do they really need to be there? Um, tough call to make, but that community piece, I think is a, is a huge part of how we're able to progress towards what we're trying to do. Um, you know, you hang around with losers you're going to become a loser, right? Birds of a foot feather flock together. A lot of expressions out there, but I think that one of the fundamental keys to success is surrounding yourself with people who are like-minded, people who are driven, not necessarily towards the same exact goal, but people who have that ambition and people who are better than us, mm-hmm. people who push us to, to improve and, and get better to try to compete with them. Yeah. That's that has been one of the most challenging things for me is and 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 those those people seem to kind of shift in and out too. Like you may have, a, let's just say you start running and you want to do a marathon. Well, all of a sudden you don't have to drop all your friends that don't care anything about running. But it is interesting to find another group of people that are interested in running that have run many marathons that know lots more than you do and surround yourself with them for your training sessions or surround yourself with them at a certain time. It doesn't mean you have to just ditch all your other friends because they don't like to run, but that is, but, but in some cases you might have that person that's super negative about it. That's like, why are you doing this, man? That's so stupid. Why are you, why are you trying to do this? I don't, maybe that's somebody that you have to cut out of your life or at least for a, for a time while you focus on this particular goal. But that is, that is a really, uh, that is a really tricky one. And it becomes even more tricky when those people are real close loved ones that mean well, they really don't want to see you fail, or they really think that maybe this might not be the right road. And it's like, man, that one, when it's your parents or it's your, your, your wife, or it's somebody that you really care about what they think. And they're, you know, they just don't want to see you get hurt. They just don't want to see you kind of extend yourself in a place where they don't know that you're going to be able to make it. That one's tricky. Yeah, that is, man. And uh, you hit the nail on the head and it really, it really resonates with me on a personal level. Um, because when I was in the hospital, uh, my family and friends, they had a front row seat to, to my, my recovery. Right. And I was as helpless as it gets, you know, for a while, I couldn't do anything for myself, eat, clean myself, nothing. I relied on my family, friends, and obviously the medical staff to to do all those things for me. Um, As I began to make my intentions clear to the people around me, I'm going back to the team. This is what I'm doing, period. A lot of people around me, right? Some of my closest family and friends on the exterior were like, yeah, man, you got this. Deep down inside, which has come out in conversations since, many of which I picked up in real time, was out of fear, right? They, they didn't want to see me strive towards something that is 
unlikely to happen and be destroyed because of that. Right now, there, there's also the side of the house where they genuinely fear for me going back to combat. But that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about my pursuit of a goal that is statistically unlikely to happen. Right. Big, big goal. Right. Unprecedented. Right. No one in my family has ever done this before. I'm not talking to me specifically, generally. Right. You know, those of us in our family, we don't go to college. We don't start our own businesses. We don't do X. We don't climb Count Mount Kilimanjaro. Whatever it is, right? You are trying to do something that no one around you has done before and no one around you has even considered to do before. And out of fear of us failing or being defeated is the better term, um, they don't want us to do it, right? They're, yeah. they're hesitant. They're, they mean they're not well. supportive. And they're, they, they mean well. They're it's, trying. it's out of love. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's out of love. And, and I, I went through that dynamic um, early on and I threw that, that kind of two-year process to get back to the team. And um, it's, a, it's, a t- it's a tough road to navigate. You know, it's a tough road to navigate. I just, I, I understood where they were coming from. My mother being a prime example. I knew that she wants nothing but the best of me in life. Right? My mother is the most loving human being on the planet. At the same time, her understanding of what Green Berets do was, was, was substantial, right? And she's like, there's no way that a one-legged guy, even if it's my son, is going to be able to do this. And at some point, he's going to get knocked off this track, and I'm concerned about what that's going to do to him and his well-being, right? It's out of love. So I just think we need to recognize it for what it is, not take that criticism or lack of support too harshly, and then surround ourselves again with those that are, that are on the same team at that moment. It may just be temporary on that, on, in that moment, on our team, ready to go. And we maintain those other relationships as necessary um, to keep the ball moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's incredible. When, when, when we're talking about that, it's like nobody wants to see you fail. Nobody want. I mean, the people around you that really care about you, like in that situation, nobody, they, ultimately they don't want to see you fail because that could be very damaging. And they mean well. But when when I think of failure and when I looked into your story, you've got a, a, a interesting relationship with failure. What? How does failure work into your life? Uh, yeah, failure is something that, um, I strive for daily and I, usually I'm successful and, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to, to, to be successful at reaching failure when you spend a lot of time, uh, doing physical training, because you can always push yourself and pick up more weight or try to run at a faster time and not be successful. And in my definition, that's failure right now. That's a small failure, right? It's not the end of the world by any stretch, but we, we want to live at the edge of our capability. And, and knowing where that line is, you have to cross it and then get knocked on your ass. Okay, cool. Today, right now, where I'm in this time and space, my two-mile run is X. My one rep max on this is X. I'm able to read this many pages uh, in this topic, you know, whatever. You can use it in any, any type of topic. Um, but I just think striving towards that is important. Failure is where all the lessons are. Failure is where the wisdom is. And it is through that process where as long as you're able to get back up, right, which is, which is critical, and that goes into your work ethic and your hot, really, you're able to extract that knowledge from that failure and ram it back into your system to improve. 
in, in, improve on a tactical minutia, small micro level, or make adjustments to the macro program on how am I going about my everyday life? How do I have this thing phased out? Um, if we're constantly living within our safe little bubble, then uh, we're, we're more than likely not going to make substantial strides. So I just think people's relationship with failure is one that can be improved upon. And um, I learned those lessons, you know, really hot. You know, it started at Walter Reed up on a prosthetic and, you know, trying to move faster than I could. And I'd wipe out and my leg would come detached and go whipping across the gym and I'd smash and knock over a bunch of shit. Um <laughs> Okay, like that, that, that was rough. Okay, I know that right now I'm not able to do that, but that's okay, right? Get back up, strap the thing back on, you know, and get back to work. And uh, I just think that failure, as long as you get back up, failure is temporary. Defeat is long-term. Defeat is forever. When you, when you fall down and you don't get back up, that's defeat. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the physical training, like you've been an athlete all your life, jujitsu, I was a wrestler. Then you have all the time in the, in the gym that, uh, are these, these tiny failures you're, you're actually looking for it, but then there's a big difference between, um, when you have, when you kind of get used to these kind of daily small failures, it becomes more comfortable to be in a failure situation, but then you have these other situations to where it's a very public failure. It's a very, it's a, it's where you, maybe you, you entered a, a competition, you entered a race, you entered uh, a, a fishing tournament, you, you go and you do this, um, you know, these assessments, like it comes time for, yeah, you know, you feel like you're, you're there, but now there's going to be a public assessment. And then that's where it gets even more tricky because it's like, now there's public failure. And there's opinions of others to deal with. And there's, there's, you know, that kind of deal. And it is a different thing. But I do believe that if you are, if you are testing yourself and, and looking for failure every single day on little things like silly workouts, like, like uh, challenging yourself with somebody that's better than you in, in wrestling or jujitsu on a regular basis and getting killed, that does seem to make it easier on those big public failures but those are still hard. Yeah. You know, huge. And, you know, our pride a lot of times is, is our biggest adversary. And we see that a lot in the, in the special operations community, right? You tend to have an organization that's full of type a hyper competitive individuals, people that are used to being successful, people that are used to being at the top, um, and then you you lump all these people together into the same into the same arena, right? Someone's going to be at the top, and someone's going to be at the bottom, and that will change from task to task, day to day, et cetera. Um, but you're able to see how much more traumatic it can be on someone when they're used to winning or they're used to being really good at stuff. And and I'm I'm I was no different before my injury, before the military, going through my my recovery process, and even today. Um, what I find fascinating in, uh, is the, in the jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu community, um, at, at all, every gym I've ever trained at, I'll typically help out with the, with the kids class, right. Which usually happens before the, the adults train. And a lot of them are kids of, of adults that are also training and whatnot. And some parents just bring their kids and they sit there and they watch them train. It's, it's unbelievable. And what the feedback I get from, from the parents is one of the most proud, aspects of jiu-jitsu for me personally and it's 
because they're in that situation, it's in a public arena, right? They're around other kids and other adults that they, that they don't know, at least not initially. And they're being put in on the ground. They're being put in uncomfortable position positions. Um, they're gradually getting used to being comfortable in what is inherently uncomfortable situations, mm -hmm. yeah. small minutia, micro adjustments over time, just conditioning, 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 conditioning. These are kids that are five, six, seven years old. And the feedback from the parents are they have gone up in productivity across the spectrum. They're doing better in school. They're doing their homework. They're listening to me at home more often than they were before. Right. So I think that those, those, those micro instances where you are being put in uncomfortable positions, your pride is at stake, you're being embarrassed, but then you come out on the backside and you're fine. Right. And life goes on and you learn something and you go back the next day. And it doesn't happen as often, or you put someone in, a, in an uncomfortable position that I think can transcend across and we see it in children and they're like sponges, right? Cause they're just soaking things up. Um, but we can apply the same thing as, as, as adults. So I think that that, that that link between those small failure moments can have an enormous impact across all spectrums of life. Yeah, for sure. And that's like the microcosm of life is the is the wrestling gym, the jujitsu gym, the the boxing gym, the one on one kind of place. It could be the swimming pool, you know, swimmers, tennis players, a lot of the one on one individual sports are are like that, like like just what you're just exactly what you're talking about. And you see this big growth. But then like one of the difficult places for for people is like, say you're that kid that gets gets killed. Uh, for five or six years, you never win a match. And then all of a sudden, you know, puberty kicks in, uh, testosterone, you know, all of a sudden you're a different kid. And now you're kind of, you turn into the big dog. And then there's this, then there's this situation to where now you have been getting beat up for so long. Now you're starting to win in this little room that you're in. But how do you then determine Man, I'm just winning in this little room, and I can I can sit here and I can beat these kids all day long, but I really need to go and be with somebody that's better than me. I really need to put myself back in that position of getting beat every day if I want to get better. And uh, a lot of people, you know, that's where this, you know, you can have this a lot. So much of what we're talking about is the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. And in and the the growth mindset is that you can always improve. The fixed mindset is that you're this is where you are. And people with fixed mindsets tend to not take as many risks. They tend to get in this position to where they're beating everyone in the room and they don't want to move on to the other room. They don't want to go to the to the other club where, where they're not going to be very good. What, what do you have to say about, about that, uh, where you have had this growth mindset, but then it kind of, you, you, you get on a plateau, you get comfortable and you don't want to take this next step that you probably know you should, but you're just not doing yeah. it. Yeah. Tom, so many great points, man. I'll just touch on two real quick. One is, uh, you basically just described me, uh, to a degree, uh, as a, as a kid growing up, I got my ass kicked constantly, right? My family and I, we moved about every 12 to 18 months. So I was the new kid all the time moving around. Um, and that's tough, right? What now would be classified as bullied. And it's something that is, is, is paid attention to back when I was a kid it was nothing. That was part of being a kid growing yeah. up and no one really cared, right? Uh, a lot of rough times, right? And 
I look back on those moments now in reflection and I'm, I'm extraordinarily grateful because uh, it conditioned me. Right. And that, again, once, you know, puberty kicked in, I began continuing to work and deciding to, to build myself up, my confidence, my strength. You know, I got into combat sports and boxing, wrestling. And, and uh, I think that that pays enormous factor in, into where I am today. And I am not at the top of, of any mountain. Right. There is someone out there who's better than me at every single thing that I do. But I have come a long way since since that small, scrawny kid who's getting picked on and beat up, uh, you know, waiting for the bus every single day. Um, so I, I, I think you can look back and be grateful for that stuff and, and, and just not necessarily make it so negative. But we're able to sometimes only in reflection, look back on moments of, of full of negativity and extract the positive aspects from it and be grateful for them. Sometimes it just takes years to be able to do that. Um, and the next thing is when it comes to, to looking for that next ridge line, which, which is super important. And, you know, you read any, any piece of work from just about any successful person out there. And the term satisfied is not in their vocabulary, kind of coming back to vernacular. It doesn't exist, right? Whether the, you're talking to the CEO, you're talking to the, a general, right? You're talking to professional athlete. It doesn't matter the work they do or the life they live. They are constantly looking for that next ridge line to climb, no matter what. I mean, look at Tom Brady. I'm obviously a, a huge New England Pats fan, but I'm also a Tom Brady fan. The dude's 42 years old. He's playing out of his mind. It's like, what, dude, right. you're at the top of the mountain. What, what are you still doing this for? And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but he just continues to want to strive. And I think that's 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 a that's a constant across the board when yeah. it comes to success. And, and that's a great example of of uh he could have he could have just said, yeah, I'm done. The, the Patriots done, but he doesn't, he moves to another team, which another is, team. he doesn't have to, nobody would have batted <laughs> an eye, but, but he's just no. exactly the, the, the situation that we're talking about. Like, why is it that some people see that next ridgeline? I'm not, it's not enough. It's not enough. And, and, you know, some people might, uh, retire, like in that situation, might say, okay, uh, it has been enough for football, but you're going to see that person start a, a foundation, or you're going to see that person start a business, or you're going to see them do something different that is a different challenge for them. Maybe something hasn't been, or, or, or they've, they, they, maybe they are satisfied. Maybe they are happy with where they are, but they're not satisfied with where they are as a person. And that is going to continue to grow. And I think all of that goes back to mindset. I mean, I think that Tom Brady is probably the epitome of a growth mindset. He can always get better. Doesn't matter how old he gets, he can always play better. And and that is a great example, a perfect example of what we're talking about that he sees that next ridge line and he he goes for it even though it could be a horrible public failure and he's ready to put it on the line. Yeah, that's it. You know, and I think I think uh I know for a fact that 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 kind of mentality exists within every single person to desire continuous growth. I do also think to talk again about community that in the ideal community world, from my perspective is comprised of three aspects, mentors, colleagues, and proteges, right? And that's the goal is to get to that point. Um, Having a sound mentor or mentors, which nowadays, given how small the world has become with the advancements of technology and social media, you're, you're no longer hamstrung to finding someone who's geographically in the same places. You can reach out and you can find people out there that are from all different walks of life 
that are pursuing all different kinds of things. And you can rely on them as a mentor and a guide, right? Those, 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 those colleagues, right? The guys alongside you, your companions, those are the ones that are, that are driven, that are ambitious, that are better than you, that are pushing you. Um, and then you, then you have your protégés, which really is something that, that you have to earn. And, and typically they, they kind of find you. And then there's kind of the circle of life, right? You kind of become the mentor. Um, that, 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 I think that's the goal. And I think that's a, that's an enormous piece of leverage where if you just don't quite feel that inside you yet, if you have a community like that, they will be there to guide you into that direction, right? Hey, man, you're now at the top of this game in this jiu-jitsu gym, right? You're crushing everybody. Let's get you into a tournament, right? Like you're not progressing like you were last year because you are the best blue belt or the best purple belt or the best black belt or whatever it is. We need to get you out there. And this is coming from a coach, right? We need to get you out there. You're going to lose. It's going to suck. You're going to be embarrassed. But you know that that's how you got to where you are now. Mm -hmm. So let's keep that going, right? Yes. And that's easy to that's an that's an easy comparison in athletics and jujitsu and wrestling and that it's a it's it can be applied to someone who is doing really well at a job that they could continue to do and continue Great to crush. Point. But if they have the right boss, the boss says, you know what, we need to make you uh, we need to put two or two or three people under you and you need to manage a team. They're oh well, sh- I don't I don't know, man. I don't know if I can do that. I don't have any leadership ability. Um, but the boss is saying, no, you, you, you need to grow. You need to stop yeah, doing what you're the best at and move on to something else. That's, that's like, uh, you know, I read Jocko's book, uh, and, and that was one of the things that he talked about is that what he really wanted to be doing was to be out there with his team. But his position required him to stay back and, de- and, and have decentralized leadership. And that was one of the hardest things for him to figure out, to, 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 stop doing the things that he really wanted to do and grow as a person and grow as a leader to move into this other, other position. And, and that can be applied to so many different things. When people hear you talk about all of these, these things and, and read into your story and you have a, a great YouTube presence where you're, you're putting out what I would consider motivational stuff. Um, there is, there is, and, and, and what you said, like the mentors, uh, uh, digital mentors, like you can look to people that, that you can gain motivation for or from, uh, from all walks of life, from in your business, in athletics, in leadership, in everything. But there's a big difference between motivation and discipline. I wonder if you could touch on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, motivation in my opinion is, it's nice to have. It's not, it's not a requirement. Um, I think it's overrated a little bit, to be honest with you. And, you know, just a quick slice off. I'm, I'm reached out to constantly, which I'm, I'm super grateful for and say, Hey man, you're an enormous motivation for me, which is a, which is a huge win, right? That makes me feel good to know that I have had a small, tiny impact on someone's even just their, that hour of their life, right? That's something I'm very proud of. Um, I actually don't seek to motivate people, right? I don't consider myself a motivational speaker or a motivational anything. Um, I live my life by my own set of rules and doing what I want to do, what I feel like I need to do 
to make me happy and to make me an asset and to contribute to the society and my unit that I live my life, right? Motivation that I may provide is, a, is nothing more than a byproduct of that. And again, it's something I'm very grateful to be able to. Motivation itself is it's a burst, right? It's, it's taking some gasoline and throwing it on a fire, right? And it explodes and it gets hotter and bigger and burns faster and it's great and you fire it up and you're operating at a higher level, right? Whether or not you have the gasoline there, the fire has to continue to burn, right? Um, that, that's, that's how you survive. That's how you live. The fire is going no matter what. So whether or not you're motivated doesn't mean that if you're not, you don't go do whatever you need to do, right? That, that, that's the discipline. I think when you're driven towards a goal, you are able to get the work done anyway. And it may not be at the highest level of production. You may not get the highest ROI on that particular task, but you're still making progress, right? And then that's just generally linked into tightening up your way of life and your time prioritization and just doing the work anyway. Uh, because the only the only the only bad workout is the one that didn't happen. And then, um, this is not specific to being in the gym. Um, it's 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 we're for all walks of life, right? Um, so I just think motivation is great and we want to look for it. We find it maybe in music or watching a video or, I, you know, I look at my son and I get motivated just in that one moment. But if we only do the things we need to do when we're motivated, we're not making progress. If I only worked out when I was motivated to do so, I would be severely out of shape. Most of my workouts are done when I'm not motivated, yeah. right? Most of the times I get out of bed at zero four or whatever it is. I don't feel like doing it, right? So the discipline to do it anyway is what is critical while we're looking for sources of motivation along the way. Yeah, and that gets to um, kind of staying on track. And staying on track is, you know, maybe motivation helps you to kind of put your feet on the ground out of the bed, but there's something else that's driving you towards this goal. But that that is another really important part of of what you continue to talk about is is staying on track means that you have have plotted a, a a point that you're trying to get to and not unlike land navigation is how you you described it to me as we were kind of talking about this and um and i think that that's really important too because you can have false goals like places that you think you need to be and if you plot that as your course and you navigate towards that, that may not be the right place. You may be making progress, but you're not going in the right direction. So how do, how do you how do how does anyone determine what that point is for them, for their goals, for their for what it means in their life? Yeah, great question. Um, I kind of have two philosophies or two recommended courses of action or COAs as we call them in the military for that. Um, one is very simple and it's just to kind of sit with yourself, right? Find a quiet place, find a, find a, a park bench or whatever it is, put yourself in an environment. It may not happen within 10 minutes. You may have to do it time after time after time and just be honest with yourself, right? What, what is it that we want to do? What, what do I want to, what do I want to do? But more importantly, who do I want to become? And oftentimes dreams don't come screaming into your face, right? Um, oftentimes they whisper and you have to really pay attention to what 
the universe or God or yourself or, or whatever it is that you want to call it is trying to communicate to you um, and then go that route, right? The other route, I think, which if you if you read some stuff from, from some really successful people out there, they, they tend to recommend this, and that is determine your talent or talents. Determine what you do best with the least amount of effort, right? And the, just the difference just quickly between talent and skill is, you know, talent is inherent skill. Talent is a gift. Talent is what you are born with. Skill is only achieved through hours and hours and hours of grinding on a particular craft or, or, or thing, right? So two different things. If you're looking to find that goal, a lot of recommendations out there, and I'm not opposed to this, is what is your talent, right? That is almost certainly going to increase your odds of success. And we tend to enjoy the things that we are good at, right? We tend to enjoy the things that we like to listen to. We tend to enjoy the things that we like to watch. We tend to enjoy the things that we can do easier than other people. So if you focus on those talents and then spend the next decade increasing your skill, to accommodate your talent, that is a that is a secure way to go. And then I've mentioned this once or twice before, and it's like, well, why wouldn't I just do that? Like, if that's going to increase my odds of success, why wouldn't I do that? And you know, chances are that that that's a solid route to take. I'm not detracting from that. Um, I just don't want to leave the option off the table to pursue something that you may be terrible at, but you feel it burning deep down inside. I want to be a school teacher. Right. I am awful with kids. I'm awful at math, whatever. But something deep down is telling me I want to edge. I want to be an educator or I want to build houses. Right. I can't stack blocks on each other in on the floor of my living room worth a shit. <laughs> but I want to build homes. Right. So no talent at all. But I want to do it because I feel it deep down. inside. That's why I put that one up front. I don't like to be limited by anything. Right. Even if it's myself, maybe that means I'm a schizophrenic or something. But uh, if that doesn't work and you're spending time after time after time and you just can't quite find your purpose, maybe we hone in on what, what, what our talents are. And it can be something very, very, very small. Right? I cut hair well. I, I interact with people well. I'm comfortable in social environments. I'm, I'm a great reader. I, whatever it is. Right. Really hone in on what that is. And then dedicate the next decade or so 10,000 hours, according to Malcolm Gladwell and yeah. the outliers to enhance that skill. Um, and then, you know what? I don't think we need to be too hot on ourselves, right? I think that there's an, at least a decent likelihood that along that journey, the mission may change, right? As life gets thrown at us, we may decide we want to divert and we just need to be real careful on, are we diverting because I don't want to put in the work? Am I making an excuse or am I feeling a deep, burning passion based on the work that I have done to this point that's putting me in that direction. And I was, I was no different, right? I joined the military because I wanted to go work for the secret service. That was my goal. Come in, be a green beret, get five years worth of advanced training, get out of the military enter the secret service, protect the president. That was the goal. The problem was I fell in love with doing what I do. Right. And I couldn't imagine doing anything other than that. Does that mean that all the work I had put in to get to where I was at that point as the Green Beret was wasted? No, right? There was a lot of value in that. I just decided that my passion is now for this. So I just re-diverted, 
adjusted my operational approach, adjusted my plan, and then just kept moving forward. Mm. Interesting. That's cool. Um, we've talked about so many different things here and it all kind of circles, keeps circling back to, to the same thing. It's, it's mindset. It's a, it's a growth mindset. There's something that has a, a theme that has come up many times on this podcast and a theme that has happened in my life where you may, you may hone in on your, on your strengths and, and make a career out of that. But at some point you have to attack your weakness. You have to, you have to, like, like we talked about earlier, you have to have this self-realization that, yeah, you're a house builder um, and you've been relying on someone else to do this part of this for you, but you really don't understand it and you really need to become an expert at this thing that you're terrible at. And it's, it's this theme of weakness is strength. Like whatever your greatest weakness is, if you attack that weakness, develop it, and turn that into a strength, you're going to develop yourself as a person or in whatever, as an athlete, as a Green Beret, as whatever it is that you're, you're in, you will develop yourself and that weakness will soon, at some point, with plenty of discipline and hard work and determination, it will become one of your greatest strengths. That because, you know, uh, maybe it's that you have no money and you want to go to college. Well, you had to get a job and and you have to pay for college yourself. And so you had to work your way all the way through college. Well, later in life, you look back on that and think, you know what I'm the best at? I'm the best at time management. Why is that? I'm the best at time management because I had to work a job and go to school at the same time. So that weakness of not having money to go to school actually turned out to be the greatest strength that I have because it developed my work ethic. It developed my time prioritization. I became a, a, a better person because of that. And it's a really hard thing for a lot of people to, to see that this weakness, whatever it is, maybe for you, it's that you, you lost your leg. And now it's like, how does, how does that play into, or does it play into your life at all that weakness turns out to be a strength? Yeah, it's interesting, man, because in the in the self-improvement space, much like the fitness space, it's almost there there are a lot of similarities, but there's also some drastic differences, right? So it can get to a point where it's the more you learn, the less you know, because there's a lot of different philosophies with case studies and whatever to prove whatever they're talking about. So I think it's on us to just expand that that wealth of knowledge and then extract what we what we think we want to use at that time and try it, but not not close ourselves off to what else is out there. What's interesting is um, there is a, there is guidance that states that forget your weaknesses, right? Double and triple down on what you're great at, and forget everything else. Now that's a school thought, and I remember one class I had. Hoist Gracie uh, came to do a seminar in my jujitsu gym, and we were doing different um, hip tosses, and we were doing you know two on the left, two on the right, two on the left, two on the right, etc. And he came over and he's like, which side are you stronger at? Uh, well, I'm stronger if I, if I go to my left. And he said, well, then just do that. Well, you know, sir, don't I want to be well-rounded? He's like, no, you, you have some techniques that you'll hit this way and some that you'll hit this way. And if that doesn't work, rather than trying to do it your weak side, there's another method that you can go that you're strong at, right? I found that mind-blowing, right? Um, I've had other coaches 
in other sports or aspects of life that have the opposite. No, we need you to be perfectly balanced, right? As good on your left as your right. Shooting, same thing. Go to some some shooting schools, advanced shooting schools. They have you do equal drills, left-handed, right-handed, right? Weak hand, strong hand. Try to balance that out. Um, and then other ones are like, no, you're a right-handed shooter. That's how you're going to shoot. Uh, forget everything else. I don't think there's a right. There's really a right and a wrong. And I think depending on what you're talking about may determine if you need to spend some time. I think macro speaking, um, perfect balance doesn't exist, right? If you dedicate time and effort towards one thing, you have to relinquish time and effort towards something else and striving for perfect balance and synergy in our lives is an impossible task, right? Even, even to the, to the most impactful degree, my family is the most important aspect of my life, period. When I'm deployed and I'm conducting operations, I am 110% focused on what I'm doing. I'm not thinking about my wife or my son whatsoever. Does that mean I don't care about them? No, it just means that in this moment, I have to prioritize my time and effort towards this because I, because I have to. And that can be broken down from the super macro to the minute by minute kind of basis. And it's going to kind of teeter totter. My personal opinion when it comes to weaknesses is much like when I was going through rehab and I knew I could do X, Y, and Z did not mean I neglected the things that I couldn't do at that moment or the things I was terrible at physically and otherwise, right? I couldn't do this exercise, but I can read about cultural dynamics in Iraq, right? I don't enjoy that. And I'm very weak at that right now, but I am going to dedicate time towards the things that I'm not good at. And it turned out because of the emphasis I placed on those factors of my life where I was weak. Once I got back and I was back on the team, all of those avenues that I had explored brought tremendous value to what we were trying to do. It increased my stock personally, which is great, but it increased what we were doing collectively by an enormous degree, right? So I I do think that there is an enormous advantage to spending time and effort and dedication towards the things that we are weak at, things that we don't enjoy, and getting past that fear. I think that fear is what stops us from doing that more often than not, fear of embarrassment, fear of failure, fear of whatever. And I am convinced that the greatest moments in life exist on the far side of fear. We just have to, we just have to get past that to be able to recognize it. And then it makes it easier the next time, the time after that. Nice. Have you ever, um, have you ever thought about putting some of this down in an organized fashion, like a, a course or, or something? Yeah, man, it's 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 funny you mentioned it. Um, I have, we have, I got some some people that I'm, that I'm working with um, have actually started on a book project, which is if you asked me three years ago by whatever I was asked, hey, you gonna write a book? My answer was no, absolutely not. Get away from me. Um, I got things I got to do, and uh, there, there's a lot of reasons behind that. You know, especially in the in the soft community, there's a lot of literature out there, and and uh, you know, kind of war story type memoirs, which which are great. Um, it's just kind of it can be viewed as kind of lame. Mm. It can be viewed as a very busy space, um, and I knew I didn't want to do that, but uh, listening to the advice and the guidance of some mentors and some people that I respect. Um, I have decided to move forward on something. It's not an autobiography. It's not a biography. It's not, 
uh, a bunch of cool guy stories in Afghanistan. It is a, it's a piece that, that exists within the space that you and I are talking about right now. It's, it's about self-improvement. It's about getting over um, adversity. And uh, it's, uh, it's about really su- success in general, but through the lens of having some really difficult challenges in front of you. So it, it reads kind of like a manual, um, like a typical kind of self-improvement book, but, but I do have some personal experiences and some vignettes kind of interwoven into it. So it's something that it's a, it's a little bit further along than I thought it would be um, at this point. So I'm thinking... You know, when we get back from this next deployment here, I'm taking off here pretty soon. Um, it'll be uh, it'll be out there, man. So, nice. so I'm excited about it. Yeah, well, I'm excited to I'm excited to read that because uh, I certainly have enjoyed the the conversation that we've had today. Um, that uh, there there is uh, in your profession there is the 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 term the quiet professional, and uh, it, it was that any kind of a a, a line to kind of. Um, to be careful of as you, as you go down into writing a book or, or putting something out there. I mean, you're saying it's, it, I mean, I guess, I guess you said that you, it's not cool guy stories and all of that. So where is that line as you have all this tremendous knowledge about success that could be um, applied to so many different um, areas in so many different people's lives that have been tested and, and forged in fire where is the line between the, the the quiet professional and sharing your knowledge? Yeah, man, great question, and it's something that that is is it's still difficult for me knowing what I'm doing, and, and I know my my reasoning behind it. It's still tough. That's an extraordinarily fine line to try to walk. Um, I'll go back to General Cleveland again. Fast forward to me getting out of the hospital and back at Fort Bragg. He was coming through Fort Bragg. Uh, he had a, some visitors from the Beltway that were coming down to talk about some stuff. And a lot of it was focused on our, our strength conditioning program. And he asked me to come over and, and talk to them about my experience with them, my experience back in Afghanistan. This was immediately following my first deployment um, back to Afghanistan as an amputee. And I'm like, sir, I really have no interest in, in, in doing anything like that. Right. I live the quiet professional, which is something that was ingrained in me as a child, mostly from my father. Um, you know, don't talk about it, be about it, walk softly, but carry a big stick. That was kind of just his whole thing. Just blue collar working class, just get out there, let your actions speak for itself. I come into SF and that's, that's one of our mottos. So I, I lived it and, uh, I, I, I wasn't unable to recognize the difference between a quiet professional and a silent professional and General Cleveland, um, with one sentence opened up my eyes. He said, Hey man, I, I understand what you're saying. I respect that, but this isn't about you. Right. This is about the guys coming up behind you, the people coming up behind you. You have an obligation to them to share your experiences, your lessons learned, um, because you did something that no one's done and you owe it to them to make their challenge a little less challenging. And when he framed it like that, it was like a light bulb went off. Right. And I still have a difficult time being in the limelight. I still would prefer to remain in the shadows and just kind of grind. Um, But I do accept that as an obligation that I have. Um, and just as long as I, you know, I kind of keep that frame in mind, man, it's, it's, it's not about me. It's about, it's about those that may benefit from it allows me to at least attempt to, to walk that line. Nice. I like it. Well, I can't wait to, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to, uh, to read it. If, um, and I know you've got a, you've got a hard stop here in just a little bit. So we're going to probably, 
uh, start to bring this to a close, but I, I just want to uh, thank you for uh, spending the kind of time and, and being as, as open and, and willing to talk about all of this different stuff as, as you have. It's been a great conversation. Do you have any, anything you want to add to the conversation at all? Close it out. Yeah, Tom, I'll just say, man, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, Scott is a, is a good friend. He speaks very highly of you. He's a good dude. Um, a great dude, right? Uh, he's going to do a lot. Of, he's going to do a lot of things out there, man. Another ambitious. He's he's the type of guy that I keep close, right? He's in that community because uh, he's also striving. Um, I'll just say this isn't about personally. It's just when we look at greatness. Right. People who are great, people who have done great things. We tend to want to summarize them as someone who is from another planet, someone who's cut from a different cloth, someone who has been genetically gifted and that they, they are predisposed, preconditioned for greatness. Um, and that is not the case whatsoever. Right. I was in that same boat. I'm still in that same boat. Um, what I've come to realize is that it, greatness exists within every single one of us. Right. Every single one of us, human flesh, blood and tissue. And it's just a matter of getting your mind wrapped around who you want to become and then putting in that work to get it done. And that's it. You know, so I just uh, people want to reach out, which which tends to happen. Um, I do have a website that's somewhat recent. It's machinenick.com. It's got the links to my socials and there's an email to hit me up directly. By all means, reach out. Sometimes it takes a while to get back, but I make it a point to get back. Uh, so by all means, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm here for you guys. So I appreciate it, Tom. It's been great. Cool. Talking here. Absolutely. And you got a great uh, Instagram. I follow you on Instagram machine.nc and uh, you should definitely look at, look at that. The YouTube as well. How do they find you on YouTube? What is it? It's what is, Nick Charles. Nick Charles on YouTube. And uh, yeah. Great stuff, man. So thanks so much. I uh, wish you all the very best of luck and, and uh, in, in every endeavor as a parent, as a, as a Green Beret, as a new author, as uh, so many of the things that you got going on. Wish you all the very best of luck. I want to have you on the show again. Um, we'll, we'll make that happen. But thanks so much for today. I really appreciate yeah, it. And uh, everybody go check out all his stuff. It's definitely worth your time. All right, that's it for today. We'll be back with another awesome guest next week. And uh, that's it. See you.